All right, Philippians chapter 1. Let's read this. Uh, I'll read this for us. Verses 27 through 30. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would bless the, uh, the preaching of the word and the reading of it as we've just uh, finished reading from this passage. I pray that you would help us uh, by your spirit, illuminating our own hearts and our minds to receive uh, from you. I pray that you would help us as we consider these words to consider a life that is worthy of this amazing gospel that we have, uh, Christ Jesus himself. So be with us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when I uh, go just out and about, when I go into the world, uh, I'm always, uh, 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 whatever it might be, I, I'm always aware that I'm representing more people than just myself. So the way I act, the, the way I behave, uh, it reflects on my family, it reflects on my wife, Jess. And I'm sorry about that, you know, that's just the way uh, that marriage works. I also know that I'm, I'm representing my last name, uh, Bakering. And uh, that's even more important because uh, there's not that many of us. Um, and it might not matter too much because not many people can even pronounce it or spell it. Uh, but that's, a, that's another matter. That's a whole other sermon. I'll leave that uh, for now. But I'm also aware that I'm representing this church. As the pastor of Christ the King, it, it reflects on our church and how I behave uh, what I do, what I, what I say or what I don't say, what I post on social media, I'm always aware of that. And it's also true of, of, uh, of the fact that I'm called as a teaching elder in our denomination, in the Presbyterian Church in America, and even above that, as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Those are all callings that I have, and the way I act, the way, what I say, what I do, all those things reflect on those callings. But there's something underneath all of those different callings. That's a foundation to all the rest. And there's something that's that's above all those callings. That's more important than all of them. That's more central than all of those. And that's the calling to be a disciple of Christ. And that's the calling of all of us who have put our faith in Jesus. If you're a Christian, then you bear the name of Christ And that's the most fundamental, uh, the most foundational reality of your life. That you are a Christian. And everything else must flow from from that reality. So if you're a husband, if you're a wife, or if you're a mother, a father, a sibling, school teacher, college student. Each of those callings, each of those vocations, they all have their own responsibilities. They all impact the way that we live. But the calling to be a follower of Christ 
It must be the main calling. And we must live in light of this reality first and foremost. We must live as followers of Christ. And this is Paul's chief aim in this passage. And in this letter as a whole, we've, we've finally now arrived at Paul's main thesis statement, if you will. This is his main proposition. He's been leading up to this point, building to it, and now he gives us this main thing. This is the one thing he wants the Philippians to walk away with as they, they hear this letter read to them. Everything else in this letter from this point on, it will ultimately be pointing back to and be being used as support and argument to to prove this main point. Only. Paul says. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. That is what he wants them to do only. Did you hear that word, that short little four letter word only. Has so much impact. It's only this. If you don't get this right, then nothing else is going to matter. This is the message we must hear today as well. We must keep the main thing, the main thing, only of first and primary importance. Above everything else, live worthy of the gospel. So that is our our message this morning, living worthy of the gospel. In typical uh, Pauline fashion, these verses 27 through 30, it's one long sentence. And this long sentence is governed by this main verb to live in, in such a manner, to live in a certain way. So the way we want to tackle this passage this morning, this one long sentence, we're going to tackle it. We're going to go through it in three parts. First, we're going to see why. Living worthy of the gospel is so important. Next, we're going to see what it means. What does it look like to live worthy of the gospel? And then third, finally, how we can do it, how we can live worthy through God's grace. So those are the three things. The first thing, living worthy of the gospel. Why it's so important. Paul, he's, he's going to define for us what it means, what it looks like to live worthy of the gospel. But before we get there, we need to consider that first phrase. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. There's, there's a lot going there, a lot going on there. So let's unpack it. If you're using the ESV translation like I am, you'll, you'll see that there's a footnote there. And that footnote points us down. And it says that in the Greek... It actually says, or more literally, it says, only behave as citizens worthy of the gospel. And that's exactly correct. See, Paul, he intentionally used this word that carried with it certain political and national and citizenship connotations. But why would he do this? Well, it's because he knew that this church in Philippi, they needed to hear that message. You'll remember that Philippi is a a city in Macedonia. It was granted special status in the Roman Empire as a as a Roman colony. And with that came a lot of privileges and a lot of status. And perhaps more than any city in that area, they were very proud of this fact. They're very proud of their status in the empire. Roman culture was was dominant in this this uh, Greek Macedonian city. There is a higher prevalence of Roman officials and military personnel within this city, city's population than, than anywhere else. 
And even some of the members of this church were part of that political system. We, we know that from Acts 16 and the conversion of the, of the Roman Philippian jailer as he comes to faith and is brought into the church, into the covenant community. And so just to put it simply, this church was, was proud of her status. The people in that church were proud of who they were. They were proud of their citizenship in the Roman Empire and the privileges that came along with that. So, what does Paul say to this church? To this group of people made up of people from all kinds of professions and callings, many of them directly tied to the Roman Empire and in the midst of a city and a culture that is instilled with this kind of civilian pride. He says, only let your life be worthy of the gospel. Only behave as citizens worthy of the gospel. That is the word. Behave as citizens. Or we could say to discharge your obligations as a citizen. Your duties as a citizen. See, elsewhere, Paul will, will tell his readers the same thing, to, uh, that they should behave worthy of the gospel. But in those other places, Paul will use the word to walk as a metaphor for life. To the Ephesians and the Colossians and the Thessalonians, he'll, he'll tell them to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. But here, and here specifically, and here only, he says to be citizens worthy of the gospel. Only here does he tie it so closely to citizenship because he knows that his people need to hear that message. And Paul says that they are to do this in a way that is worthy of the gospel. The implications are clear. This is not a secondary dual citizenship. This is not even uh, the, the first or primary identity, one of many. What was the word he used? He says only. This is the only thing. Not your Roman citizenship, which is a good thing. But he says your heavenly citizenship. That ought to be your chief focus. You are to live a worthy life, worthy of that calling. Later in chapter 3, uh, near the end of the main body of the letter, Paul will again use the same word he uses here in chapter 3, verse 20. And he says that our citizenship is in heaven. And so in this way, Paul, he opens the main body of his letter here with this main proposition, talking about our heavenly citizenship. And then he will conclude the main body of his letter before he gets to all the greetings and the final exhortations as he wraps up his main argument, the main body of his letter. He'll conclude again with this same word, That we ought to remember our citizenship is in heaven. And in that way, he neatly, he persuasively argues and makes his case that this is what matters. That we are gospel citizens, first and foremost. We don't have time to get into all the intricacies of how that works in each of our lives. But what we must know and what we must do is remember that this must be the first thing. This must take precedence. If there's ever any conflict between our citizenship 
of the gospel and our citizenship as Americans or all the way down to things like homeowners associations or or country clubs or whatever that might be. We know in every case what ought to take precedence. Only above all. Live worthy of the gospel. So we can see how important this subject is, how important this this uh, life that we are to live is. But what does it mean? What does it look like to behave as citizens worthy of the gospel? That's the second thing that Paul gets to in in this passage. And what we'll see is that Paul defines what it means to be gospel citizens by using three verbs. There's three words that he uses to describe what this life worthy of the gospel looks like. He says, standing firm, striving together and being unscared. I tried to think of a third word that started with S and it was that one was difficult. We went with scared or frightened, whatever, whatever you would like to, to go with there. But let's look at how he talks about this here uh, briefly. Look back with me at verse uh, 27 and 28. Make sure that we're all on the same page with his argument here. So Paul says that we uh, ought to live worthy of the gospel so that purpose statement always so helpful so that whether I come and whether I come and see you or I'm absent. So remember that he's still awaiting the results of his trial. He doesn't know which way it's going to go. He believes he's going to be released and see them again. But what he's saying is either way, if I'm delayed or even if my life is taken, either way. So he says, so that whether or not I see you, I may hear of you that you are doing these three things. All right, now here's our our three verbs. Standing firm in one spirit, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel with one mind, and not being frightened in anything by your opponents. Do you see those three things? All those connect back to Paul's main point of living worthy of the gospel. Let's consider those three aspects of living worthy. To live worthy of the gospel means they ought to stand firm in one spirit, Paul says. That's the first thing he wants to hear about this church, that they are standing firm as one people and one spirit. They are not to stand apart. They are not to stand upon their own strength. They are to stand together and stand in the spirit. And there is good reason to consider capitalizing that S in spirit. This is the, one of the mysteries of the Christian life. That we've been given Christ's own spirit that our conversion, that he's worked that, that mighty work of regeneration in our lives and he's blessed us with his own spirit. That Christ's own spirit dwells in us. And if that's true, if we all have the spirit living in us, then we must also be united. We are being made into one being, one body with stronger ties than anything else. We're, we're one family. We belong together and we must stand firm together in one spirit, in the spirit. And it's no coincidence that Paul will make the same point to the Ephesians right after he says the equivalent of our main proposition here. Ephesians 4 verse 1, Paul says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Do you hear that same language to what we read here? Worthy of the calling. 
And so he continues, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace because there is one body and there's one spirit. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of us all who is over all and through all and in all. Do you see the point that he's making? Do you see the unity that the spirit brings? We are all broken sinners in need of grace. And because that's true, we will inevitably hurt one another just the way that siblings So easily pick on one another. I'm sure none of the siblings here in this room, none of the kids understand what that's like. I'm sure you all behave perfectly at home. No, we understand that we can hurt one another and we do hurt one another. But we must strive for this kind of unity and it must start with us. Is there something is is there something between you and a brother or a sister in our church? Is there something that's keeping us from being reconciled and being unified? Do you hear the the Spirit's desire for us to be one, to strive together, to stand together? We all share the same God who is Father of us all, so we must strive for unity. In the same way, Paul follows up with that statement with an almost Synonymous statement, he says to live worthy of the gospel also means to strive side by side with one mind for the faith of the gospel. He now building on that previous statement, we are to stand firm and we're also to strive together. So this word means to struggle or means to contend. Uh, it has uh, shares a root uh, with uh, words that are connected with athletic competition And even some military connotations in there as well. And so what Paul is championing uh, here, what he's calling us to, is what uh, Pastor Dennis Johnson, he he refers to as selfless solidarity. I thought that was a wonderful way to sum it up. Selfless solidarity. We are all citizens and citizen soldiers of the King of Heaven, of Jesus himself. We serve Jesus, and so we must contend and fight and struggle and strive after the same goal in unity without letting anything divide us. And so we must be united. We must strive together. But for what? What what is the thing? What's the goal that we're striving for, contending for? Paul says that it's the, the faith of the gospel. This is what it means to live worthy of the gospel, Paul says, that we must strive together for the faith of the gospel. Now, Paul, he's not referring here to the faith in terms of our uh, of the instrument of our salvation and our justification. Rather, he's referring to the the content of faith. That is the the system of doctrine, the, the Christian doctrine, the biblical truths of Scripture. That is what we must fight for. The faith once delivered to us. We must contend for the faith that was handed down. And it starts with us as we wrestle with scripture. As I hope you are right now. Not being passive listeners. But active and engaged in hearing the word of God preached. Receiving it. But not taking what I say for granted. 
But searching the scriptures, striving together, contending for it, that what I say is true. That we would grow in our knowledge of the, of the word of God and contend with one another for these scriptural truths. And then be able to stand firm, united together on what we know is true and defend it to others. And not defending it because we must be right. Not defending it so that we can win arguments, but defending it because we have the responsibility as Christian citizens to not get it wrong. And that is what we are called to do. There's a third thing Paul says that we must do to be uh, to live worthy of the gospel. The final thing he says is to live worthy of the gospel means we ought to not be scared or be unfrightened by anything of our of our opponents. Paul says to live worthy of the gospel by by standing firm, uh, striving side by side. And then verse 28, he says, uh, and not uh, frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. This group of opponents that was uh, attacking the Philippians, we don't know exactly what their uh, their M.O. was. We don't know exactly what they might have looked like or who they were, but they're most likely uh, pagan unbelievers. They were the ones who had taken pride in their Roman citizenship and didn't understand this new way of living. They would have been attacking the church from the very beginning. And, you know, we've been so blessed in this country and in this uh, part of the world to not have known this kind of persecution in our church. But we also can look around us and we know that our country is divided. Our, our country is confused. Society is confused. And there could very easily come a day when we are standing firm in the spirit, striving for biblical truth and that our standing firm is met with fierce opposition. Even in the Bible Belt, we, we don't know what might await us in the future. But what will happen and what will we do when that happens? We must stand for truth. And we should not be afraid by anything the opponents of the gospel might say. Why? Because their actions are a sign unto themselves for their destruction. They're opponents of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're opponents of the creator God, the maker of heaven and earth. It is a sign unto their destruction, but their persecution of us is a sign of our salvation, Paul says. It's a sign that we belong to God and that all things will work for our salvation. This is a comforting truth. And John Calvin, I think he sums it up perfectly. He says this, therefore, this, this, this fact, this, this sign unto us of our salvation. This is a choice consolation that when we are assailed and harassed by our, our enemies, we have an evidence of our salvation. For persecutions are in a manner seals of adoption to the children of God. That's a seal, that's a stamp, that's a marker that we belong to him. And is this not exactly what Jesus himself said in that Sermon on the Mount? 
Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's what we're talking about this morning. Our citizenship in that kingdom. And he says again, blessed are are you when others revile, revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. See, we don't just stand in solidarity with one another in the here and now, but we stand in solidarity with the church past, with all believers who have gone before. Do we believe that? Can we, can we truly rejoice in, in any and all suffering because Christ has suffered first for us and we can participate in his suffering and that itself is a mark that we belong to him? We've seen the importance of living worthy of the gospel. We have seen what it means to live worthy of the gospel. That living means standing firm and striving together and being unafraid of anything by our opponents, anything in the world. But now the question is how? How can we do this? How can we ever hope to achieve this kind of life, to live worthy of such a high calling that God has given to us? That's the third thing we want to see. And we see that God gives us the grace to do it. Living worthy of the gospel is God's gracious gift to us. When people would ask uh, him about uh, preaching and sermon preparation, uh, R.C. Sproul, uh, he would say that you should find the drama in the text and then preach the drama. That's how you preach a good sermon. The drama in our text is the scandal of the gospel. The drama or the twist or the unexpected turn of events is that we've been talking this whole time about something that we think that we are supposed to do. But then we get to the end and we see that God has been the one doing the work all along. Paul hints at it at first at the end of verse 28. Did you see it? After talking about living worthy of the gospel, talking about all the suffering we might face and how it's a sign of destruction for them, but a sign of our salvation. He then says. And that from God. That referring back to everything he's just said, all of that is from God. That is, it has its source It originates, it comes from God himself. But then he makes it explicit, verse 29. He says, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. That is the drama in our text. You see, this is the lesson that we need to learn. The life we are living is God's gracious gift. And the calling to live worthy of the gospel is also likewise a work of God in us. We are not living to bring about or to accomplish something. We live in light of a certain reality. We do not live the gospel. All right, sometimes people say it that way. They have good intentions by saying it that way, but it's not true. Don't ever say that. We do not live the gospel. 
We do not really even live out the gospel. In fact, we need to be careful about how we're saying it ourselves, living worthy of the gospel. We need to be careful with what we mean by that. So listen now, we do not make ourselves worthy of the gospel. That's not what we're saying. We're also not saying that we make the gospel somehow more worthy than it already is by how we live. The gospel itself is supremely worthy because the gospel is Jesus Christ himself. Jesus himself is the gospel and he proclaims the good news. He proclaims the gospel himself. Luke 19, the son of man came to seek and to save sinners. That is the good news. That Jesus has sought you out. And he has saved you. And that's all his work and none of your own. And now, because that's true. What do we say? And what do we do in response to this salvation? Do you see the difference we're making in those two statements? What do we do now that we have been justified, that we have been set apart as holy, that we have been adopted into his family, that we have been brought into the kingdom of God, that we have been given uh, this covenant community and this this status as, as stewards in his kingdom? Because that is true, now we live as citizens of the kingdom and of the king to whom we belong. You are not your own, but you were bought with a price. And so live like it. That's what Paul's saying. It is not you who lives, but it's Christ who lives in you. And so live like it. You are no longer slaves to this world, but you are heirs of an inheritance, the inheritance of heaven. And because that's true, live like it. God has given us everything that we need to live in this way. Sometimes we say it like this. We say that God has given us everything that we need for faith and for life. And that, in in essence, everything we need for faith and life, that's exactly what Paul's saying here. He says that it it has been granted to you. That is, that's God's gracious, his free gift. That's what that word means. His free and gracious gift that was granted to you undeservedly. It was his gift to grant us not only for uh, our faith to believe. But also that our lives will be marked by suffering. Yes, suffering is a part of life because Christ, our king, he suffered on our behalf. The servant is not greater than the master. We, too, can expect suffering in this life because it is a sign that we belong to him. And all of this is God's grace. And God gives us the grace to live worthy of this calling. So when you go out into the world, wherever it might be, is your citizenship in God's kingdom on the forefront of your mind? As you talk with your coworkers or or how you treat your employees or or how you speak to your wife or how you discipline your kids uh, are each and every one of these things being done with an eye toward our calling to be followers of Christ and to live worthy of the followers of Christ.
This is a difficult calling. It's a high calling. But always remember, as you wrestle with the implications of, of how this will work out in each and every one of your own lives, remember to always keep things in their proper order. You are called to live like a child of God, not because you have to earn that status before God. Not even because you've been brought in, but now you have to keep yourself there in his good graces and keep that status for yourselves. That's not it. That status as a child of God was graciously given to you. He loved you like a father, even while you were still his enemy. He saved you through Jesus Christ. He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. All of this while we were still his enemy. That is the gospel. That is the good news. That you have been freed from sin and now you can live a life that is holy and pleasing to him. The life that he had created you to live from the very beginning. That is the good news that's worth living for. So let's live worthy of that gospel. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are the king. You are the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And you've granted us this heavenly citizenship. You've granted us the status of, of your sons and your, your daughters, of our heavenly father. What an amazing privilege we have. Lord, we know that this is not of our own doing. Now we pray that we'd always be mindful of that, that this is your gracious gift. And that you've called us to live worthy and to live in light of what you have done for us. So help us to do that. Give us the grace to do that. Help us to remember always of your amazing love for us. And we pray that you do that even now in our lives as we sing this final song. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.